Hello and welcome to another episode of the Funds Download, a Harneys podcast. Um, very sad to say this is actually the final episode of this season. So I'm sure you'll all be very excited to hear about the, about the new season when we'll be launching. But to end, given how hot it is at the moment, we want to talk about crypto and we want to talk about FAQs. Um, we have got the seven hottest questions that, that blossoming fund managers in the crypto space want to ask. And we have a super superb panel of experts here at Harneys to, to help you address them. My name's Phil Graham, Global Head of the Funds and Regulatory Team here at Harneys, joined today by Matthew Tabor, Mark Piano, and Lewis Chong. Thank you, gentlemen, all for joining us. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. Cheers, Phil. So we have seven hot questions. So to begin with, and probably on the slightly more boring side, but, but frankly, something we will all hear very regularly, what kind of legal structure should I be looking at? which jurisdiction is right for me, and what does that open-ended or closed-ended fund really mean? I'm going to take it in uh, reverse order, though. I'll start with the what's an open-ended and closed-ended fund. And the simple way that I've always approached this is to say open-ended fund means that investors can escape when they like, subject to the rules that the fund set up, so usually notice periods and maybe be able to get out on a, a monthly, quarterly, or annual frequency. And closed-ended is what I think most people would understand as a private equity-style fund where you hand over your, your investment for a period of time, usually set between five and ten years, and the investment manager will go off and invest that and hopefully create a return through various different projects and return it to you. And I think probably for most of us in the crypto space, I certainly have seen vast majority of funds that are investing are open-ended because it lends itself to the type of investment and the type of strategy. But then obviously there are, I suppose, venture capital style investments that are made in this space into software companies and those types of things lend themselves better to the traditional closed ended structure. And, and then now, obviously for us in, in both Cayman and the BVI, we've got uh, specific regulatory regimes for each of those types of vehicle. So it's here, I'll jump in on, on the jurisdiction. Uh, I think um, for most of our US listeners, they're going to be more familiar with Cayman. And I guess that's, that's rightly so. Cayman kind of dominates the world's offshore funds market. We, we estimate that, that Cayman has about 70% of the world's offshore funds. BVI, on the other hand, sits in second place with about 12 to 15% of the world's offshore funds. So certainly a, a sizable chunk, but but uh, a little bit more of a generalist jurisdiction, whereas Cayman is, uh, you know, I think recognised as, as a funds jurisdiction. I absolutely agree with that, Lewis, and, and there's no doubt that, that that Cayman is that market leader. I think it's been really interesting in the in the sort of 2020 legislative updates that we've seen um, in in Cayman, especially though, is is that the incubator fund and the approved fund in the BVI have sort of never been more popular with with startup emerging managers that are that are looking to save costs as much as possible and to sort of surround themselves in 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 as little amount of red tape as possible. Uh, and there's no doubt, anecdotally, from all of our perspectives, that we've just seen more and more and more of that at the moment. And the BVI is very well place to take on those managers indeed. In terms of the legal structure, people come to you and say, I need an LLC, I need an LP, I need an SBC, I need it to look like the following. Is there any sort of in the crypto world, is there any particular sort of trend that you guys have seen as to as to, as to what people actually do need and, and what people tend to choose? 
In terms of what, what I'm seeing, they, they tend to, to follow kind of traditional fund structuring models. So closed-ended funds tend to be limited partnerships for the most part. Your open-ended offshore blocker vehicle tends to be a, a BVI or Cayman company. And then, you know, when it comes to a master fund and, and offshore master funds are more popular for crypto managers for just because it may give the appearance of being outside the US and, and give the fund access to a few more international, i.e. non-US exchanges. That's a little bit of a toss up, you know, for the most part, I think they're limited partnerships, but because, you know, particularly for US managers, there's flexibility with the IRS to elect for a particular type of entity to have a particular type of tax treatment. You can also see the master funds being companies, which kind of check the box to be treated as pass through vehicles for US tax purposes. Lewis makes a good point that I've, I've actually got a few clients who've investor facing vehicle in their fund is not the Cayman vehicle. So they've set up a, a Cayman entity to help them with their trading and exchange relationships. And that's something you, you just don't, don't see hardly at all, I don't think, in the traditional space. And to just mention SPCs or segregated portfolio companies out there, you know, there are a lot of people that come to us with sort of hybrid structures in mind. Um, well, they'll have part of their underlying investment is, is pretty liquid. Um, part of their underlying investment will be more of that sort of VCPE style flavor. Um, do you see SPCs um, having any sort of interest in this space? I've formed one SPC for a crypto fund manager. And that was really formed with the idea of taking advantage of particular deal opportunities and, you know, in the closed ended space. So, Hey, you know, we've got access to this particular digital asset or, you know, shares in this particular blockchain company and we're offering it to our, to our clients. And so an SPC made sense to kind of have one vehicle, but, but roll out all of those different opportunities and, and separate portfolios. From a BVI perspective, I think the, the regulator is a little more comfortable with someone, for example, setting up an, an SPC uh, with some portfolios open-ended and some uh, closed-ended, but you know, they would expect that to be regulated under the, the, the mutual funds regime as opposed to the you know, private investment fund regime. So um, the one thing I'd say to managers who are, are looking at, at setting up an SPC and, and say, oh, you know, I've got four different strategies that I want to roll out at the one time. If you're a first-time manager, I would strongly recommend focus on one strategy that, that you think you do best and, and, and do that one first. And then once you've got that up and running and working properly, then maybe think about rolling out other strategies. Don't try and do it all at once. You know, setting up a fund for the first time is a, a big undertaking. And I think one strategy receiving all of your attention will be worthwhile in the long run. Yeah, I yeah, agree with that for sure. That's pretty sage advice, I think, Lewis. So rolling on to question number six, do I need a bank account for my offshore fund vehicle? And if so, can you get me one? So I'll jump in quickly. Yes, you do. So we can certainly refer you to, to either banks or service providers. I tend to recommend that, that they leverage either their existing banking relationships or probably better leverage their fund administrators banking relationships to, to get that process underway and, yeah. and completed. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I'd probably add into that. We often get asked, do I need an, an account offshore um, either in Cayman or the BVI for my fund? And the answer is hundred percent. No. Question number five, if I use an offshore vehicle, I don't need to worry about tax. Is that right? The, the short answer is the, the adage about death and taxes is absolutely right. 
even though both Cayman and BVI are tax neutral jurisdictions, which means that your, your fund itself will not be subject to direct taxation in the islands in relation to its uh, operations outside of the island. But you've got two layers. Well, for me, it's three tax considerations for a fund. One is your investors. Two is the jurisdictions where the fund is investing. And three is you as an investment manager. What is your tax status? And you have to get advice on two and three. And for for number one, that is up to your investors. And to a certain degree, depending on where you're offering the, the, the fund and where the investors are located, you might need to make some extra disclosures in the offering document for them. And uh, yeah, if you're a manager and you're onshore and you're operating onshore, then you'll have to speak to a tax advisor. But of course, I think both, even even in the COVID environment, both of our islands have got opportunities for people who want to actually physically relocate and set up investment managers on island. You know, I've got several clients that have done that. Then yes, tax would become less of a personal concern for the manager. Indeed. And we, we, we've actually had a number of managers move here to the BVI as well this year. And, and I think I think fundamentally, what are the vehicles trying to do? They're creating that tax neutrality layer. They're trying not to add to your tax headache, frankly, but it certainly doesn't mean that you can ignore it. So I guess the answer to that question is no. I'd also um, just jump yes, onto that to say as a practical point as well, if you're trading any kind of crypto at all, whether it, you're worrying about tax from the manager's point of view or from the investor's point of view, Uh, I think you need to be very particular with your record keeping uh, in terms of exchanges, price points, quantities. I mean, you have to do that anyway, but the crypto element in particular is more generally getting quite a lot of scrutiny from tax authorities around the world. So I think being absolutely meticulous with record keeping on on any kind of crypto fund is is a good idea at the best of times, but it's something which needs a lot of attention at the moment as well. It needs to be flawless. And I'll just chime in on tax generally, both Cayman and BVI are pretty detailed automatic exchange of information legislation, which means that they are any Cayman or BVI fund that you form is going to have to comply with with those requirements and essentially speak with your fund administrators to make sure they can assist the fund with complying with those obligations. So absolutely, for those that have seen sort of FATCA and, and CRS, et cetera, sort of banded around, that is still going to be very relevant to what you do. Your, your fund administrators that you'll work with will undoubtedly be able to assist with that. We can also assist with that. And we've got some great people here who, who, who can do that. So, but it's, it, it's fundamentally something you, you are going to have to consider. On a very sort of similar note, um, question number four, I would like to target investors all over the world. You guys have offices everywhere. So I guess you can help me with that. Yes, interesting question. And I think certainly I've been asked this more frequently in the in the crypto context. Same rules apply as to any traditional type investment product. And I think that's the, that's the key thing to remember, that you're going to have to look at where you're targeting and where your investors are located to determine what you may have to do for, for making an offering. There are sort of some general rules of thumb in that if you're offering it into the US, then you're likely going to need a, a US vehicle for those taxable investors in the States and then obviously US Council and US tax exempt investors would typically come in through the Cayman and the BVI vehicle. And then you've got Europe and by Europe, I mean the economic and political union. So not Switzerland and very soon not the UK have very specific and and difficult rules to to follow in relation to offering funds yeah just, just to chime in we on the european front we we have fantastic funds colleagues in both cyprus and luxembourg and i tend to point clients in that direction if they want a, a general chat on 
marketing into Europe. So certainly happy to, to make intros on, on that front if, if clients require. Perfect. Thank you. Moving on to number three, which has Mark Piano's name written all over it. Can I issue a transferable token representing my fund interest? Mark, over to you. So yes, you can. Uh, there's, there's certainly pros and cons of doing it, but you need to look at why you want to do it and, and what infrastructure you've got or that your service provider or fund admin or manager has got to deal with that. And it certainly isn't going to replace your obligations to maintain your statutory registers under whichever law or jurisdiction that you incorporate under. So it, it can have benefits, it can have drawbacks, uh, but you still have your core legal obligations to follow, whether it's a transferable token or whether it's a normal equity interest. Number two, the custody of assets in my offshore crypto fund will obviously not take the approach for a more traditional investment fund. Will this be an issue? The answer from a BVI perspective is yes, um, there is a requirement for a custodian to be appointed, but there's also a pretty well-trodden regulatory path in the BVI to apply for exemptions where a, a traditional custodian may not be appropriate. So we certainly ask for those all the time where you've got a BVI feeder fund into a US master fund where the only assets of the, the BVI fund are actually limited partnership interests. So um, you know, and, and that's often a structure that we use in the crypto space. Uh, and also, I think the, the BVI regulators are um, very understanding of the, the, the issues surrounding custody of, of digital assets and, and has granted uh, exemptions in the, in, in the past for clients on that. Cayman, on the open-ended side, there's no custody requirement, no custodian requirement, but there is... There are some reasonably new rules on, on segregation of assets, so no need to appoint a custodian, but whoever does do the custody for the fund, there, there, there's going to have to be appropriate disclosures. On the closed-ended fund side, there there is a prima facie requirement for a custodian, but if given the nature of the assets, it's not appropriate, then we can make that case to the regulator as long as we appoint a title verification agent to verify that the, the fund holds title to those assets. I might say as a general comment then just to keep an eye on developing law and regulation in different jurisdictions on this topic and, and once you are looking to set up and depending on how you're looking to structure it and who's going to do custody, we can advise you as to an appropriate approach at the time. I think what's I think what's great about both SEMA and the FSC is they both sort of embraced that this is a thing and doesn't have to follow the traditional path. And so there is always a sensible conversation to be had. And I wouldn't particularly see that this will be an issue with launching your offshore vehicle at all. Right. The number one most popular question asked um, by crypto managers out there. Can I take subscriptions into my offshore fund in crypto? And as a follow on, can I redeem my investors in crypto? I'd probably answer this a little bit like we answered the bank account question was that yes, certainly from a legal and regulatory perspective, it is possible. There are challenges with regard to things like anti-money laundering, etc. Also, you will, although technically you wouldn't have to have a fund administrator doing lots of things for you, it's going to be very challenging not to do it in Cayman and not have a fund administrator. And there are vanishingly few fund admins who are willing to even contemplate funds that have uh, want to take subscriptions from investors in the form of a, of a crypto or a uh, digital asset. There are some that will do it, but it's very limited. So one or two of the ones that we know about will, will only do it if it's Bitcoin or, or potentially Bitcoin cash, I think. So it's, it's not really something that's scalable 
the cost of saying to a you know a potential investor, can you just convert your Bitcoin to fiat and then make the investment versus okay, yeah, we can do this, but um, the administrator's going to take two weeks to do due diligence on your on your Bitcoin and wallet, and and you know it'll be an extra X amount of fees. That's kind of the cost benefit analysis. I think it's also worth adding that if they are going to do due diligence, they're very likely to use some sort of third party to actually do the technical due diligence, which as well as adding to costs, adds to time. And the other thing I'd add is that you need to consider how that's going to work in terms of valuation policies and how your your operational documents and offering documents are going to work, as well as being very sure that you've got the infrastructure in place and the service providers lined up to make that happen. So yes, you can, but again, it comes down to similar to if you want to issue a transferable token, you've got to be very sure it's what you want to do and you've got good reasons to do it and you've got a good investment proposition for investors to be on board with it. But there's also some technical things that can go wrong as well as the the wider practical considerations around it as well. Thank you for such a sort of detailed technical analysis of, of this question, gents. You know, as you can see from it being our sort of most popular question, it really is something that every crypto focus manager is wrestling with. And whilst it remains a slightly sort of cumbersome problem that they have to they have to try and address, it goes without saying that our team here has got so much experience um, through the years of working on these types of projects and really great contacts in the market that we really are here to help you navigate these choppy waters at uh, at any time. So please do feel free to reach out to these this bunch of experts. You here on this podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil.